0: there's no doubt that one of the reasons he is staying in F1 is that he wants an eighth world championship.
1: Do you give yourself some leeway in a year, two years from now, to sign somebody, you know, like a a Lando or something like that, to come into that team?
0: When we're talking about rookies and seven races in, whether they should be out of the sport, I think you have to look a little bit at what your expectations are of a rookie going into Formula 1.
2: Think of him in a full, hot, 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 passionate Ferrari red get-up.
0: I did wonder where you were going there with that, Katie, for a moment. But um, Yeah, kind of <laughs> thought we were getting really... some fanfic kind of <laughs> kind of thing
1: or something.
2: Welcome to Unlapped. Uh, we got a lot to get into today. Katie, George, Nate Saunders, Lawrence Edmondson. Good to be back with both of you. Nate and I were on ESPN's post-race F1 show, so Lawrence, we haven't caught up with you in quite a while because you've been busy. You're at the Spanish Grand Prix. And then you were at Chris Medlin's stag, which, aka in the states, is a bachelor party. Correct?
0: That's right. I mean, I, I love the Spanish Grand Prix so much. We thought we'd extend it further and celebrate <laughs> Chris Medlin getting married in in a couple of months. Um, yeah, so it, it's been it's been it's been a fun fun week or so. Uh, if I'm stumbling and and, and uh, struggling to come up with my words today, you you know why. But um, oh, yeah, it we'll was uh, it, it, it was good. I don't think I can say anything more than that. You know, usually what happens on a stag do you on the stag do right? <laughs> And now Fair it sounds
1: enough. like I boycotted it. Now it sounds like I wasn't there for a. I just couldn't make it, sadly. So if Chris Medlin's listening to this, which I know he does sometimes, we're going to do part two at some point. He knows that already, yeah. but he doesn't know where.
2: Okay. So you're going to plan a second portion. My goodness. Oh,
1: plans I fear for in both motion. your livers. Plans in motion. Yeah. I mean, livers at this point, you know, they are what they are. Vicarious, you know, yes, when exactly. you get to this age, you just, yeah, <laughs> they're, they're all over the place.
2: So I know Nate's thoughts, obviously, on what went down in Spain. But Lawrence, I just like to get your initial thoughts, takeaways from the weekend on the whole and obviously the comeback that Mercedes clearly put on track.
0: Yeah, Mercedes was the main talking point coming out of it, wasn't it? Because they emerged comfortably as the second fastest team behind Red Bull. I think what we shouldn't lose sight of is that Red Bull are still a long way ahead, 24 seconds at the end of the race. Um, Toto Wolff was saying that maybe if Lewis had pushed harder, they could have got that down to about 15 seconds. But even so, you know, who knows what Max had in reserve anyway, and Red Bull's strategy was very conservative, because they knew they were going to blow the field away. So uh, as exciting as it is to see Mercedes make progress, and I think it's, it shows that they've found a better route with the development of their car than they had before they're still a long way off. And also, they're retrofitting all these new developments and upgrades onto a chassis, which was kind of built around a different concept in the first place. And there's elements of that that they just cannot change until next year. So really, the best Mercedes can hope for in this is that they emerge as the second best team throughout the remainder of this year. But they're up against stiff competition, especially in Aston Martin and the start they've made this year. Uh, and then uh, everything that they learned from this season, they can, they can build into next year. But you got to remember red bull are just not standing still uh, and uh, that's no. the thing that uh, it's hard to get head around so main takeaway was that yes mercedes have made a step forward but one i think it could be very track specific uh, that was a track that was always going to suit the characteristics of the mercedes car um and then the yeah the, the other takeaway is that red bull on a circuit which people often look to as one of the main aero circuits on uh, on the calendar were just miles ahead again. Plus oh. of course we had Sergio Perez showing that perhaps yeah any chance of a title battle uh, is 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 very very optimistic given uh, the another mistake he made in qualifying.
2: Nate anything you want to add to put a bow on Spain? No,
0: nope, Lawrence covered it
1: in depressingly accurate detail about how <laughs> how uh, one side of the championship's going to be. Uh, for the time being, but uh, yeah, I think um, that that those were the two things. Mercedes and Perez. Just you know, in the space of three weeks, he's basically gone from you know potential title contender to a guy that's probably going to finish a distant second, which is a you know a bit of a blow
2: at this point. All right. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the headlines.
0: Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be.
2: Some news coming out of Spain was that Lewis Hamilton, after the race, was going to sit down with Toto Wolff, team principal Mercedes, and discuss his contract extension. He hasn't signed anything yet. That was, of course, on the weekend. We would have obviously heard something at this point had he. So where are we with the contract and what can we expect moving forward?
0: Well, these contract talks have been going on for several months now. So this was just another step along the way. Um, I talked to both Toto and Lewis in Azerbaijan and uh, at that point, we already knew the contract contract talks are underway. And at that point, they both sounded very keen to get them done. Uh, there was just uh, some difficulty when it comes to talking about money, obviously. Um, and then the other thing we don't know at this stage is how long this contract is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. In some ways, it may make sense just to do a single year and see where things stand. But everything from Lewis's side uh, so far has suggested that he wants to commit to more than a single year. Uh, so you're probably looking at a two years plus a option for a third year and um i guess that's also part of the conversation we don't know exactly how many details have been uh decided we don't know exactly what happened on monday clearly there was uh, a plan for them to talk because they both mentioned uh that they, they wanted to sit down then uh, toto said to sky sports that it could all be done within half an hour over coffee which suggests it really is just dotting i's and crossing t's but until we get that final confirmation from mercedes um we kind of got to assume that the negotiations are still going on to some extent the, this whole process uh, of, of getting a contract together, especially between Lewis and Mercedes is an interesting one because they've done it so many times before. They often say that a lot of the details of the contract have just remained the same from the very first one he signed in 2013. Then they modify stuff as they go. Uh, there'll be things like partner days deciding on, on how much of Lewis's time gets given uh, away to basically help fund the Mercedes F1 team and stuff like that. And then, of course, he has his uh, charitable uh, organizations as Mission 44, which is um, Mercedes have contributed to and then there's Ignite which um, both Lewis and Mercedes have contributed to again trying to uh, increase diversity in motorsport so um, there's a lot a lot to consider uh, but I suspect probably the, the the biggest issue for them to consider is the number at the end of it uh, the number <laughs> that he gets paid and for how long um, and then once that is decided it will have to go through lawyers and all of that kind of stuff so even if they shook hands on a deal on monday it might not be several weeks until we get the final confirmation just because uh these things you know need to be triple quadruple checked uh, along the way to make sure everyone is happy and no one can get out of, of, of what they've signed
2: i think you should get drunk more often you're firing on all cylinders right now <laughs> is he not nate
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was,
1: I mean, I might not, might as well not be here.
2: (laughs) He's making up up for ditching us last week by it just being the two man show. I'm curious since Lewis and Toto have done this before, they've gone to the table multiple times. Timeline comparison is this taking longer than what it has in years past, Nate?
1: I'm not sure. It's hard to say like for like, but I mean, if you think about after 2021, after everything that happened in Abu Dhabi, we really weren't sure if Lewis was going to actually come back and race. You know, he he went out of that season, out of that race, out of contract, you know, on December 31st, 2021. And I forget now exactly the amount of time, but it felt like that dragged on. And obviously that was over the winter, so we didn't have race to race to race to talk about it. But it just felt like there was this huge period of time where Lewis hadn't signed. Um, This one feels longer, but I think at the same time, it really does speak to the trust that both sides have in each other. You know, I think that they're, they're really at no point even though there was that Ferrari rumor which Lewis kind of you know just kind of dismissed out of hand Ferrari themselves even were like look there's you know there's there's nothing to that um you really get a sense that these two these two people really trust each other they know that they're not kind of one of them's trying to negotiate with somebody else behind their back while they're while they're doing it and i think that when you have that confidence in each other the time doesn't matter because you know the end goal is going to you know the end result is going to be the same um, but yeah, it, it it certainly feels like the longest one, but this is a trend. You know, they've never really been done really, really quickly. The first wind of a new contract, and then when the contract is signed, there's usually quite a bit of time between them. Um and I think if you're Toto as well, to add, I think what you know, Lawrence covered it all perfectly. But there's an interesting thing, the interesting thing is the time thing, I think, as well. Because if you're Toto, he he had such a great succession plan with Bottas, you know, getting Russell into the seat, and that was you know, years and years of kind of one year deals for Bottas, and they knew Russell was there there's no obvious young candidate currently who could replace Lewis. And I think that part of Toto's head is going to be like, well, do do you, do you give yourself some leeway in a year, two years from now to sign somebody, you know, like, like a Lando or something like that to come into that team. Whereas if you're Lewis, you might say, well, look, I want a really long deal here. I'm not sure if he does or not, but that might have kind of changed the dynamic a little bit as well. Um, But yeah, there's lots of things going on. And I think to be honest with you, um, it's just, Yeah, it does seem like it's just a matter of time. And Mercedes, we've always said, haven't we, have the strongest driver lineup right now in Formula One, and I don't think there's ever been any desire to to change that going forward.
2: Lawrence, what would surprise you more if this deal was done by the Canadian Grand Prix or by summer break?
0: Um, Probably by the Canadian Grand Prix, actually, because I don't think there's a huge amount of rush on on either side. I mean, I wouldn't be that surprised if that happens, but... um, yeah, if it goes beyond the summer break, then I think maybe we do start to ask questions because they've just been so confident about it at this stage that it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. So um, yeah, I'd be surprised if it goes that long. Uh, I think as, as Nate mentioned, wasn't it uh, 2021 where he signed just before preseason testing and, mm. uh, and, that, and that was just a single year deal. And at that point, there were lots of questions around it. So I, I don't think it's that unusual that we've got to this stage midway through the season. And yep. uh, or we're not even at midway through the season, so it's only a third away through the season, and there's no deal for the following year. You know that's that, that that's not that unusual. I think the interest just comes because it's Lewis, so he's you know such a high profile Formula One driver, and then uh, secondly that he's coming towards the end of his career, and pretty much every time he's signed a contract, uh, when we've had a press conference afterwards, it's like, will this be the last uh, contract of your career? what's your plans long term and all this kind of stuff and yet here we are again talking about you know what he seems to want as a multiple year contract so um it, it is interesting but he's he's said so many times recently that he sees no reason to end his career at the moment uh certainly from a physical point of view he thinks he's he's good enough to uh to match the very best in formula one i think you only have to look as far as fernando who's what three years older than Lewis i think maybe two years older than Lewis and he's clearly still performing at high level at 41 years old so um i think lewis will look to that and be very comfortable about the idea of racing up to about 41 42 maybe even further but um of course the other side to this the key thing which we haven't really discussed is just that mercedes do make the progress that hamilton wants there's no doubt that one of the reasons he is staying in f1 is that he wants an eighth world championship and so if mercedes are unable to uh, construct a car or show signs that they construct a car to to compete with Red Bull over the coming years um, then you know you have to question why Lewis is staying longer but clearly he feels confident in that he, he loves that team and has a relationship with that team unlike I think any relationship we've seen between team and driver uh, in Formula 1 for for decades, maybe Michael Schumacher-Ferrari was close, but even that ended in a slightly strange situation. So, yeah, it's um, I think it's a case of it all getting, all getting done fairly soon, but I'd be surprised if it goes beyond summer.
2: Okay. Well, we will patiently await that news. As we're seven races already into the 2023 F1 season, um, I don't want to say that we're going to stir up drama with this next question, but I'm just curious, based on the season so far, who do you think's at most risk for losing their seat Either before the end of 2023 or heading into the 2024 season, based on performance thus far?
1: I think if you were to look at it objectively so far, two of the three rookies really stand out Logan Sargent, Nick DeVries, for very different reasons. You know, I think I'd be surprised if Sargent lost his seat this year, but DeVries has obviously, there's been a lot of chatter around him losing his seat. Now, I don't know how accurate those reports were in terms of it seems like the Daniel Ricciardo part of those reports wasn't true but I think there is internal pressure on De Vries. you know he came in with a lot of hype a lot of expectation and really is really being shown up by Yuki Tsunoda at the moment and we know how unforgiving Red Bull can be mm. um so I you know I think DeVries is just kind of an open question mark you know Red Bull have Liam Lawson who's currently racing in Japan I think in Super Formula um and there's always been a suggestion they might give him a chance at some point on the Sergeant side you know, he came in probably a year too early from Formula Three. That was kind of the wrap on him, um, and I just don't think we've seen from Logan that he's kind of really ready for Formula One. He had that great first lap. He basically had the best first lap a rookie's had for a long time when he kind of you know raced through. There was that great onboard of him, but he just doesn't seem to have you know what you need in Formula One. You know, he's made a lot of mistakes, and again, you know, you're always compared to your teammate, and he's looking mm-hmm. bad compared to Albon. Um, and I think, I mean, we touched on this, didn't we, in the digital show, Katie, that. One of the things that Sargent has going for him that I don't think he's lent into is the mm. fact that he's an American driver at a time when Formula One has never been more popular in America. He just does, he hasn't really embraced that, and we've talked about it before. I'm not comparing Ricardo and Sargent personality-wise because you know they're, they're very different ages, but also you know they're just very different kind of personalities. But when Ricardo was struggling at at McLaren last year, especially, I think I felt it, and I think Lawrence agreed as well at the time. That because people feel a certain way about Daniel Ricciardo, I think he got an easier run than he would have done. Than say if Lance Stroll, I mean, look at Lance Stroll. You know, he's had what four or five bad or, or not great performances, and people are already saying he's holding that team back. They've got to get rid of him. Blah blah blah. It's because people have a certain opinion of Lance Stroll. Ricciardo, even at the end of last year, like he had one moderately good performance in Mexico, and everyone was saying, "Look, he's still he's still as good as ever." And it was like, well, I mean it was okay. I mean, it was, you know, it was one good result in, in a really bad season. And I think Sargent just really hasn't done, especially as a rookie, you've got to kind of come in and make yourself marketable, make yourself kind of an addition to the grid that people want to see. And I don't think he's done that. And I think that if you're, if that's happening and you're not performing at the same time, then I think you're in trouble. And I don't know how, I mean, from a marketing point of view, Williams might look at it and say, this guy's great for us but I'm not convinced it is the case. So unless we see a big turnaround from him, sadly, top of my list would be Sergeant, and then DeVries just below him.
2: Well said. I think if you're not adding value currently based on your drives, you have to be adding value from a marketability standpoint. And he's, as you said, not tapping into the American market as he should. He could be capitalizing and winning mm. big here. And I just don't, I don't feel that here. Um, yeah. So for this season.
1: And I totally get it from a point of view of, you know, when you're a rookie, I imagine there's a lot, you want to focus on the racing but at sure. the same time, he came in at such a point when it just felt like he kind of fumbled the bag at the one yard line, as they say, you know, you you you've got this great opportunity to be America's F1 driver. You know, there was this huge push around Colton Herter. And the reason people in IndyCar love Colton Herter is because he's kind of, you know, when you when you see him interviewed, he's kind of, you know, he's an entertaining character. Um, you know, his results aren't always amazing, but he's a really entertaining character. Or you look at someone like IndyCar has this driver called Connor Daly, who I don't think's particularly good i don't think he's ever won an indycar race but people adore him he's you know he's a really you know he's got this huge fan base based on the fact that he's just likable you know and and that Mm -hmm. means sponsors like him and you know the fact fans like him means they buy his merch and stuff like that very very simple but it keeps you around i mean those are maybe clumsy comparisons indycar to formula one Mm
2: -hmm. but um
1: yeah i think sergeant really yeah has kind of missed a big opportunity there
2: Lawrence, would you agree with those two picks
0: Well, I think I'd start by saying I think this is actually the strongest field of drivers we've Mm. had for years and years in Formula 1. And, you know, this is a bit anecdotal, but the last two races, Monaco and Spain, we didn't even have a safety car yellow flag. And that does uh, speak to the standards of driving at the moment. So actually, if, if we look at drivers who have deserved to be booted out of F1 in the history of F1 and the drivers we have now, I think you've got 20 drivers who are actually doing... pretty good job and when we're talking about rookies and seven races in whether they should be out of the sport I think you have to look a little bit at what your expectations are of a rookie going into Formula One it should be a really hard level of performance to be putting out week after week there should be the uh, possibility of mistakes it should be that difficult Formula One that's you know that that is the very nature of it but if you look at who Sargent replaced uh, Nicholas Latifi and his performances so far and you know, and okay, he's made mistakes, there's no doubt about it, but I think the overall potential of Sargent is far higher than it was at any point with Nicholas Latif in the car. So um yeah, I I I actually think that it would be pretty harsh if any of the 20 drivers got booted midway through the season um because i don't think any of them are doing or showing signs that they're going to be doing that bad a job by the end of it uh, you got to remember as well these cars are not easy to drive this new generation of f1 cars are mm-hmm. run incredibly stiff incredibly low to the ground um, and and uh, you know and that does induce uh, errors even among some of the top drivers you know we saw lewis crash during a, a practice session in monaco uh, we saw checo perez crash the first corner in qualifying um and so yeah you know to see the rookies make some mistakes as well on the way it's not perhaps that surprising and really to judge them before they've had you know I would say a full season but certainly three quarters of a season uh, does seem a bit harsh um so I don't know I, I honestly don't think any of them deserve to be booted if, if I was looking at it and just you know spec pure speculation of what might happen uh, I'd say you know if if Checo continues to struggle as much as he is, uh, he may look at the situation and if it kicks off between him and Verstappen at some point and there's internal wrangling, well, you know, then Red Bull have this, you know, very well packaged as we were talking about marketable drivers, Daniel Ricciardo sat in on the sidelines waiting to come in. And, you know, and, and that's the other question you have to ask. If, if you're going to replace a driver, certainly mid-season, you need a very, very good replacement because coming into a car with zero testing and, uh, and getting the job done is very, very difficult. So, um, you know for any team to do that they need to know that they've got a driver waiting in the sidelines who's going to do a better job and at the moment i can't think of any uh current drivers in reserve roles who are going to do a better job than the drivers in in the main seat and i'd probably include ricardo uh in that as well and um, as much as i'd love to see daniel back in the sport
2: he's supposed to test drive the rb19 i think after or during silverstone i believe is what he had told us when we were down in miami but gosh i I know Sergio has made some gaffes certainly some frustrating gaffes but he's still consistent I can't imagine if you switched him out for Daniel Ricciardo you'd be getting better results from that second seat for Red Bull
1: Yeah I think I think that's fair I mean you know Red Bull have said they think Ricardo since he's has been in the simulator again has kind of rediscovered his mojo you know that's what Horner said I think like mm-hmm. almost word for word and having spoken to Ricardo you know recently I think he it, it does seem like he feels that whatever bad habits he picked up at McLaren have gone, but mm. that McLaren era was—you know—he was. It was so difficult seeing that. You know, if you take Monza twenty twenty one away, he really didn't impress at all. And I think it's such a risk to put him in that car because, you know, you think uh, you're not getting the Daniel Ricciardo of twenty eighteen or twenty fourteen. I think you're getting—you probably think you're getting the, the Ricciardo of of the McLaren era. And as Perez is showing, I think being Max's teammate now is probably the most difficult job in Formula 1 and if you're already struggling for confidence I don't think you're going to find confidence against him because he's just going to be beating you most weekends quite comprehensively so I think all of those things together I think there'd still be a question mark around Ricardo. but yeah Perez is a weird one I think you know one or two good results and people stop you know will be fine again with him but he he comes to every weekend knowing that his best result should be sec- sorry his, his minimum should be a podium finish you know, it should be second place at this point you know third maybe so to not be finishing at least on the podium it's a really really bad result so if that continues if we get to summer break and he's you know he's had a load more results like this then you know i think that i think that could be where we look at and start to think is 2024 when he leaves but yeah to circle back to the original point i don't know whether it'd be an upgrade at this point to put ricardo in
2: well, obviously, we don't have a race this weekend, so you guys have the weekend off, but then we turn our sights to Montreal. And just something to kind of keep an eye on, you know, wildfires are sweeping across the country. Quebec currently has 154 active fires. Um, you see videos of a lot of smoke, uh, visibility, air quality, certainly, I don't think is is at its best. Um, what do we know? Will this be an impact um, possibly when we we turn to next week, Lawrence?
0: Um, I don't think we do know at the moment. I think we're a bit too far out to determine uh, what will happen with these forest fires, uh, what the air quality will be like. Um, all I can say is that there is uh, this has happened before, and it was in uh, Singapore. And there were some mass uh, forest fires in Indonesia at the time in 2019, and a lot of smoke and haze uh, blew over into Uh, Singapore. And I remember getting off the plane and you couldn't see the tops of skyscrapers. Uh, The air quality was noticeably um, thick and rough and not very nice to be outside in. And um, yeah, and this was a couple of days out, the, the air quality on the Pollutant Standard Index was hovering around 170, 180, which is considered very unhealthy. Now, I've I've just Googled Montreal, and it's not that high at the moment. It's not even close to that. It's actually considered still very good. So a lot of this depends on which way the wind is blowing and atmospheric conditions and all sorts of things. But, um, yeah, I remember talking to um, Dr. Luke Bennett, who used to work with a number of F1 teams and drivers uh, at the time about whether this haze that was in Singapore uh, could put the the race at risk and he said, look, if there's any asthmatics or people with uh, lung diseases or lung issues, then they should be very careful and they should not really be outside without um, a pretty serious mask um because of the pollutants. but for the drivers um driving around wearing a helmet and all the rest of it, there wasn't actually any significant danger whatsoever and this was a very high level of pollution now, whether F1 thinks it's suitable to race when there's forest fires in the area and potentially people's homes at risk, that is another question. I think then we fall back into the 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 the, the question. But at the moment, it's so hard to know where we're going to be by, in a week's time and what it's going to be like. But um, I think these uh, suggestions that maybe the race will be called off because of the pollutant levels seems uh perhaps a little bit out of step, especially what considering what happened in Singapore. And my okay. other memory from that Singapore weekend is that it was particularly bad the Tuesday or Wednesday before the race. And by the time we got round to race day, um it had all cleared up almost completely and no one was talking about it. So um I think it's one of those things that F1 will obviously keep an eye on. Uh I think it's uh, an incredibly important issue um for us to all consider like the potential of forest fires and uh and, and the impact they're having on the environment and and how we can try and try and reduce that. But um for F1 at the moment, I'm not sure it's something that they can really start to make a judgment call on next weekend's sure. race. Yeah.
2: Nate, when are you supposed to head to Montreal?
0: I fly Tuesday. <clears throat> so yeah. um,
1: you know, by the I mean by Imola, you know, I was waiting for the cab when the when the call came. But just to add to what Lawrence said as well, you know, one of the key things with IMLA was that the also I mean ultimately I think from a from a look perspective Formula 1 knew they couldn't go there in good conscience and race but also one of the big things was the strain locally on the emergency services and that from everything I've read in Montreal hasn't you know because it's it's outside of Montreal that's not an issue currently the race going there wouldn't divert resources away I think at Imola there was just a you know a whole concoction of things there you'd suddenly have thousands of people basically moving into the middle of where this disaster disaster zone was whereas here I think obviously all the pollution stuff that Lawrence has mentioned is important as well, but there'd be away from the, it wouldn't be like the formula one races, like, you know, all these people converging around the wildfires, like it was in mother. So I think a very, very different situation. And I'd be, I'd be surprised if, if it did lead to that, but Lawrence is right. You know, next week, I mean, if him, anything to go by, we'll find out 10 minutes before my, my cab arrives for this one. Um, but yeah, I think it's one where, you know, you kind of, you, I'll dig out, you know, the masks that we had from the pandemic and, and take one with me just to be safe. But yeah. I think um, the crazy thing is the images in New York right now. You know, if it's anything yeah. like that, obviously by next week, then, you know, that that will be a different a different story entirely.
2: Yeah, the videos and photos from New York right now are, are yeah, crazy. really, really crazy. So something to keep an eye on for sure as we move forward. Um, something that hit the wires that I'm sure Lewis Hamilton is not going to be thrilled about is that the plans um, that we were hoping for uh, to hold a South African Grand Prix in 2024, um, unfortunately have fallen through, which that would mean the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa will stay on the race calendar for at least another year. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, that's right. And um, it's been a strange one, the Kyle Army, um Grand Prix plan. So Kyle Army um, used to host, I think it hosted about 21 races between the late 60s and early 90s. Um, you know, and this is this has been in the news for a while now. Formula One really wants to go back to Africa Really wants to race there, but it's been clear that Kyle Army really hasn't had the money to really put this event on. You know, if you want a long-term deal in Formula One, Formula One has to do the, the due diligence of of making sure you can you can put that on. But even despite that, there was such a there was such goodwill on both sides to get it done. I think that there was a you know there was you could almost kick the can down the road. The promoters changed last year, so a company called Seven 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 took over the race. They're Miami-based. So what has actually done this race in isn't isn't the funding. So I think that's an ongoing question. But of course, there was a report in Racing News 365 this week that the, the thing that's ultimately pushed that over the edge uh, in terms of sidelining Kyle Army, at least for the short term, is a much wider political question of South Africa itself as a country, very, very closely aligned at the moment with with Russia. And obviously Russia at the moment with you know the invasion of Ukraine that, let's not forget, led to the cancellation of the Russian Grand Prix, had huge implications on the grid as well. We had the Mazepin's leave from Haas as well. So I think from that point of view, the Formula One has looked at it and said, there's just, you know, there's just not something we want to be involved in right now. That on top of the money issues have kind of, have meant that that's just for the time being is, is sidelined. It's really interesting as well, because Lewis has been a huge advocate, as you say, Katie, for this race. He said before he retires, he wants to race in Africa. And this looked like the the easiest option to get a race there. You know, it's kind of a, a circuit that's like ready-made there has the history. I think one thing that a lot of more kind of long-term fans hate is that a lot of these new races coming in don't have that history. Kyle Army ticked that box of, you know, it might be a new quote-unquote new venue, but it does have some Formula 1 history to it. Um, The good news, obviously, from that perspective is like you say, Spa stays on for another year. It's really sad because Spa just seems to, it just seems to be a matter of when, not if, that race gets canned completely. I love Spa, it's one of my favourite circuits, but there just never seems to be any desire from Formula 1 to uh, and Spa to kind of, you know, for that to stay long term um from what i understand there are f- a few options beyond kyle army like away from kyle army to to fill that gap so whenever somebody says there's new races coming onto the onto the calendar Spa is kind of the sacrificial lamb right now that gets circled and says if we get this race on that's probably the slot that goes just because contractually they don't have anything in place and i think that for whatever reason you know Spa has <clears throat> spar has kind of had a weird relationship with f1 even under bernie there was in the two thousands, I forget which year it was, but they they had at least one or two years where it didn't, you know, they didn't race. So long term future for Spa not great, but this at least means they've probably got an extension for next season. And we often see that going back to a place to race is often enough to kind of generate some goodwill to to keep it there, you know, especially if you have a good race. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, for the time being, Belgium stays. Kyle Army on the sidelines, but I imagine Kyle Army will still kind of be in the mix at some point, but 2024 and 25 for Kyle Ami don't seem that likely.
2: So let me ask you guys this. Stefano Domenicali is reported to be working on a new F1 agreement. Um, the proposals that have been rumored in said agreement, and I want you guys to debunk this if these are bloviated figures, but adding two more teams to the grid in the short term, increasing entry fees for new teams from 200 million to 1 billion, and increasing the number of races on the calendar. So let's hit that third point, if that is in case fact. If they increase the number of races on the calendar moving forward in this set agreement, could Spa then stay, or it's always going to be on the chopping block because they find value in other destinations?
0: Yeah, it's it's all about who's willing to pay and how much in Formula 1. So at the moment, the uh, limit on the amount of races they can have is 25, and that's under... The current Concord Agreement. The Concord Agreement exists between the teams, the FIA, and Formula One, and basically governs or sets a basis to govern the sport, almost like a constitution. And uh, and there are certain things which are which are limited in it. One is the amount of races you can have at the moment. Now, Formula One have made it very clear that they want to expand the calendar, but there are a number of questions about that. Of course, more money is 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 great for everyone in uh, Formula One because the teams will get a bit of that, um, and uh, the FIA will get a bit of that, but uh, the the issue is at what point are you you know potentially damaging uh, the sport or what point do you have oversaturation of races yeah a lot of people in the sport are already talking about that and rightly so i think you know if you look at a season like this where it's been dominated by one team and one driver then we are very quickly going to lose Narratives of, of what yeah. we're going to talk about midway through the season. There's not so much excitement midway through the season, even in a really competitive championship year. I feel like once you get to the middle of the year, you know, you're so far away from the end of the year that you're like, well, you know, it, doesn't matter that much you're so far away from the start of the year that some of the excitement has worn off so i think there is a danger in having too many races but yes it could potentially mean somewhere like spa has a stay of execution you know they could be there longer because uh they they are able to contribute something and add a, an, an extra race to the calendar of course along with being a fan favorite but unless they can start to stump up the money to compete with new races coming in uh then it's always going to be a question of who can pay us the most and you know how many races in total can can we have, and you know, and keep everyone happy, and uh, and that's all stuff that will be freshed out in the in the Concord Agreement, which uh, apparently you know negotiations are starting to get underway. And it seems like a lot of the teams are quite willing to continue with something similar going forward, but F1 will of course be looking uh, at how it can maximize uh, revenues, and you know it's entitled to do that because uh, it has to do that for its shareholders, for one, and you know, and to become a or to continue being a successful business, they have to look at how they can how they can grow, and so one very obvious option is to add more races on, but yeah, um, whether it's a, a good thing for the sport is is another question, and uh, I think it would be really bad for F1. If we start losing some of uh, the really great race tracks, you know, if F1 is going to hold itself up as the pinnacle of motorsport, it needs to have the mm. circuits to back it up. And I'm all for new tracks, places like Las Vegas and Miami coming in. But um, I'm yet to be convinced that any new circuit that has been added in probably even the last 20-30 years is uh, can stand up to Spa as, as, as one of the greatest circuits in the world. You know, Spa is that good. And having cars go around there, Formula One cars go around there annually, I think is very, very important uh, for the health of the sport and the future of the sport and keeping fans entertained.
2: Do you think that the second proposal alleged in this new F1 agreement that entry fees for new teams would increase from 200 million to 1 billion is in a realm of possibility?
0: Um. So the, the figure I've heard, uh, or certainly the figure that was going around earlier this year, was closer to £600 million. So £200 million is, is basically what you have to pay up front if you want to join the grid at the moment. That was based roughly on the price that uh, Williams sold for um, several years ago, uh, but it's now clear that Formula 1 teams are worth a bit more than that because um, the valuation that Audi Basically, put on uh, Sauber when, when they came in and invested in it was around six hundred million. So, um, you know, if if you're creating, if you're making it cheaper for new teams to set themselves up and come in, then than it is, you know, the market value of the existing teams, then it's not good for the existing teams. So the, the the teams want that number to be as high as possible because it makes their franchise, their um, what what they hold. Uh, become worth even more. Um, And of course, there is this, you know, the reason we have this anti-dilution fee is what it's called, is because when a new Formula One team comes in, they are entitled to have a split of F1's revenues. And so almost as compensation to the existing teams, you have this Uh, entry fee this anti-dilution fee uh, which gets split among the teams and at the moment you know when it was set at 200 million maybe that was fair for you know what it was worth to be a formula one team well now everyone considers f1 to be even more popular sort of grown um, and for the teams to be worth more than they were uh, a few years ago well it's kind of right that 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 number goes up but one billion does seem excessively high because it creates such a high barrier for any new team to come in. And then, you know, we really need to go back to the conversation of, um, is, is it beneficial for the sport to have extra teams? Uh, are we better off having 10 locked-in teams that we know are financially healthy and stable? Or should we kind of open it up to, to more teams? Because it wasn't that long ago that we did have 12 teams in Formula 1. Three of them were in just in a constant struggle for survival. And, um, and eventually, all three of those teams... Um, went bust and, and and dropped out of the sport. So I don't think that's particularly good for F1 either because we're talking about a lot of people's jobs at stake and stuff like that. So as far as I'm concerned, the most important thing is that you have healthy teams. If you think the sport can only support 10 healthy teams, so be it, you know, let's work on that. And then if a new team does come in, they need to bring uh, one value in terms of who they are bringing in, but also uh, some kind of anti-dilution fee to compensate the others. I, I do think there is a, an element of fairness to that.
2: I think what's commendable about F1 is that They are willing to evolve as needed. But Nate, do you think that there is a realm of possibility where they overstep, they overreach and they go too far?
1: In terms of what they're doing right now, in terms of like going after some money in certain areas, do you mean?
2: Yes. Money, adding new teams, adding new races. Oversaturation was a word that Lawrence um, used. I don't want to say, are they too greedy or are they just trying to capitalize on, you know, the the hotness of the sport right now
1: yeah i mean michael andretti uh obviously he called them greedy didn't he at the start of the year when and that goes right into what lawrence was talking about about you know the amount of money going around and formula one teams aren't convinced that he'd be a good or his team would be a good addition to the grid for a lot of reasons i think that you you can look at this and i think you know money at the moment seems to be dictating a lot of things in formula one you know lawrence is absolutely right i think if spa went off the calendar i think it would be it would be crazy but the fact that that can't stump up the same money that say Qatar can or Saudi can that if you're formula one right now you're looking at it and you can make more money right now than you ever could have done in Formula One um and it's 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 funny isn't it because that as Lawrence said that the idea of that being an anti-dilution fee Formula One is happy when it comes to you know the calendar to dilute the product and say well we're going to have more and more races more and more money coming in I don't think the um the long-term future of the sport itself is being thought about. I think a lot a lot of these decisions seem to be we can make a lot of money right now with this race, with with these teams coming in, whatever it is, and no one is really stopping to think at some point. And you could argue that the, the boom that we went through with Drive to Survive, there was clearly like a, a hockey sticks mm-hmm. style effect. <laughs> I think it's very, very fair to argue and very easy to argue that at the very least that's tailing off at the moment. It might already be kind of tailing off. And I think it's tailing off from a very, very high point. But I think we've already started to see, you know, if you look at if you actually dive into ratings at the moment, you know, across the, across uh, across the globe, they're really kind of dropping. And I mm-hmm. think that that's again that's down to the season we're having. But I think that the kind of a lot of people don't maybe think that what Netflix sold them is what they're now seeing on TV. You know, in terms of the sport they they thought they were kind of getting into, maybe isn't the sport that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. So when that starts to happen, you have to think five years down the line. You can't think right now, where are we going to be? You've got to assume the worst. You've got to look at it and think, well, you know, are we doing, are we going to, are we, I suppose, shooting ourselves in the foot right now,
2: Hmm.
1: five, 10 years from now, are we going to regret some of these decisions that are being made? So I am a bit skeptical about some of the decisions that are being made. I think Domenicali's come in and obviously, you know, I think he's done a lot of things right, but you look on the commercial side of things and I think there's, if if you're looking at the bottom line of these teams' budgets, there's nothing to be worried about. They're they're doing better than ever. But if you kind Mm -hmm. of step back and take a global look at things, I think Formula One's getting itself, maybe it's overstretching in a lot of places and that never, doesn't matter what sport you are, that's never gone well for any championship or team or whatever. So I think that's a real thing we need to watch over the next kind of few years to see how that plays out.
2: I'll end Unlapped by painting a picture. Christian Horner. (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Somewhat blonde, somewhat ginger, decent complexion, in a full navy getup, a compliment said complexion. Now think of him in a full, hot, 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 passionate Ferrari red getup, head to toe. Is that a world you ever thought you would be living in? And I'm talking about Helmet Marco claiming that Ferrari tried to pull Christian Horner away for a lot of money to come be the team principal at Ferrari. Apparently the claim and the conversation went down at the Canadian Grand Prix in 2022. But can you imagine Christian Horner in all red?
0: I did wonder where you were going there with that case for a moment. But um, yeah, can, <laughs> I, can I, <laughs> I, thought we were doing some fanfic kind of, <laughs> kind of thing or something, but did I yeah.
2: paint a vivid picture, Lawrence?
0: You, you certainly did. Uh, so, um, you're right, though. Isn't that always the case? Uh, when someone who has been at a team in any sport for their whole career, as long as you've known them in, in that sport, it's very hard to imagine them going somewhere else. We had a similar thing with Lewis Hamilton just before he went to Mercedes. I mean, he actually didn't change the colour of his race suit, but still it was, it was one of those things which no one could quite get their head around. Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes? Like, what on earth? Um, but with Christian, even more so, I think. And uh, also because he is just so tied to everything that... Red Bull is in Formula 1. He has of course been there since day one. He was picked by um, Dietrich Matterschutz as the man that he wanted to lead his his new team this, this team based on a kind of new fun-loving way of looking at Formula 1 but also deadly serious about winning championships and he's everything about that and for him to go to Ferrari uh, w- would have been Absolutely fascinating. I think it would have been a really great storyline for the sport, but I'm also not that surprised uh, that it didn't happen. And um, for Christian, probably all it meant that in his next negotiations with Red Bull, he can add yeah. an extra zero <laughs> onto his contract, which I'm sure he's very happy about. And uh, will very willingly stay in, in the royal blue, would you call it? I don't know, navy blue of Red Bull. Navy blue. Ferrari's, Ferrari's oh.
1: becoming quite a good negotiating tool for people, isn't it? Christian, <laughs> really, Lewis, really. maybe as well this year. They're busy. They're busy. Mm. but um, sorry Laz I didn't mean to cut that was no, I no, cut you no. off
0: mid mid Horner I, I, um, I mean I, I, other than I'm not surprised he didn't go I, I don't really have a huge amount to say for it but I think it would have been brilliant to to see what what would have happened because Christian is uh is very good at what he does he's a very true political operator as well so what how that would have worked out behind the scenes at Ferrari which we know is an intensely political team uh, would have been interesting and I think perhaps good for the Scuderia good for the racing team itself um but um it didn't happen but it sounds like just a quick one to to finish it does sound from what marco
1: said that he was close like it sounded like he uh, you know from marco's point of view to to persuade him which does remind you that whether you're a driver a team boss or a technical director there is such sway in being the guy or being part of the team that wins ferrari their first championship i think in a few years time that that's i mean that's going to get bigger and bigger and ultimately if you're ferrari i think you lean into that as much as possible you say look you come here, you win us a championship, you know, your, your Schumacher levels of, you know, Schumacher, I think it had been 21 years when he won uh, the championship since he one won with Jody Schechter. And that was, at the time, it was like, well, that's legendary status. So that must have been in Horner's head. You know, you'd be, you'd be forgiven for not thinking of the romanticism of that. Um, so I think it'll be interesting. I don't know, when Horner's won a few more championships, whether he wants to stay in Formula 1 long term. I'm interested to see what happens in a few years where he can turn around and say, look, I've won a bunch of things with Red Bull, you know, there's not, you know, it's not like he'd have been leaving this team right before they won all these championships, which must be a really difficult thing to do, you know, walking away when you know Red Bull's going to win a few championships. So in a few years' time, I'm not counting out Warner ending up there in a few years' time. It'd be a great place to finish your career and, and just give it a shot. I mean, why not? And if you're the team boss that does that, I think. You know, a Christian Horner statue in Maranello would be a funny thing to imagine, but, you know, not beyond the realms of possibility given where Ferrari is right now.
2: What a sport. What a world. Oh, the possibilities. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Have a great weekend, you too. Cheers.